market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he has been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. My name's Conor Macchio, I'm the deputy political editor at the paper, and with me this week, as per usual, are our political editor, Alistair Grant, and our political correspondent, Rachel Amory. Welcome to both of you. How are you doing? Probably better than me today. Yeah, not too bad. I suppose we should congratulate you, Conor, oh, for uh, winning Political Journalist of the Year at last night's Scottish Press Awards. No, keep going. <laughs> Do you have a sore head? Yeah, I've extremely sore head, and it has been all day, and uh, only a Diet Coke has solved it, so there you go. And a hot dog, which was in the canteen. It was horrible. Uh, anyway, um, on to the news of the week. It's been a mad week in terms of DRS, yet more stories on that, but we'll come back to that later and we'll instead focus on an update that the SNP's deputy leader, Keith Brown, gave us on independence, independence strategy. Um, Alistair, take us through what he said. This is in the lead up to the Big Bucks Independence Convention on the 24th of June. Yeah, so people will prob- probably remember back in the the distant past when Nicola Sturgeon was still First Minister, that there was this plan to have this special independence or special conference of the SNP to to discuss the way forward on independence. And obviously obviously Nicola Sturgeon had this idea of using the next general election as a de facto referendum. And it wasn't popular with everyone, it's safe to say. There were internal critics of that plan. There were a lot of people who were quite kind of of the, I think Pete Wisher is probably the best example of this, the the SNP's longest serving MP who was supportive of the plan, but basically because it was the the least worst option. He wasn't enthusiastic about it, but was was kind of saying, you know, we've ran out of roads. This is the only only way to push forward this debate. So that was put forward by Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, As I say, not hugely successfully. Uh, The Nicola Sturgeon obviously resigned in mid-February. And we've had all the kind of, stuff that has happened since then. It feels like a long, long time ago. Uh, And then Hamza Yusuf, obviously the new First Minister, and during the SNP's leadership election, there was a lot of talk, as you'd imagine, about independence and the best way forward and different strategies for it. And Hamza Yusuf's position essentially boiled down to they need to grow support. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, there was always an implication behind what he was saying that this is going to be a longer term thing, that basically the party needs to focus on growing support, having polls show that there is that majority for independence over a, cons- over a period of time consistently, uh, and only then would that kind of push the dial, move the dial on independence. You had people like Ash Reagan, the sort of outsider candidate who was kind of advocating a version of the de facto referendum, using every election as a, an independence election. Mm-hmm. So you had a conversation about it then, Hamza Yusuf obviously won it, and now there is this SNP conference to discuss independence happening in June 24th, so not that far away at all. But then Keith Brown has sent an email to SNP members, should say first reported in the National, just to be fair, essentially saying that this exciting event, as he calls it, kickstarts a summer programme of independence campaigning activity. And this will culminate, I'm paraphrasing here, 
in the annual conference in October, where delegates delegates will officially decide our independence strategy. So it's kind of sounds like the can's been kicked down the road. Mm. That this conference, this special event on June twenty fourth, the Saturday, won't actually decide this. It will be kind of a a talking shop, I suppose you could view it as. Rachel, what what's your thoughts on this? I mean, it's it, do, you, do you think that SNP members are going to be happy with the idea that this big, massive independence convention, um, the meeting of the intellectual minds of the party, is going to result in absolutely diddly squat? Well, I think it depends. I think um, the SNP, particularly when it comes to independence, is very driven by its grassroots movement. So I think the members themselves will be really pleased to sort of get together and discuss this. But um, yeah, I, I think my, I myself thought that more was going to come out of this meeting at the end of June rather than there being a vote in October. I kind of assumed that more was going to come out of this June meeting. And it's, and it's one of those things, isn't it, that, you know, we're... When, we were, when, we, when this was pitched initially, it was pitched as the grand decision of, of the SNP movement. Um, and there'll be some people, I guess, Alistair, won't there, who think that this is... And a, a way for Hamza Youssef to impose his strategy on the party. Because, for example, you know, you've talked about Pete Wishart's de facto referendum preference. We've got Alex Salmon's single candidate for independence plan. And you've got the grow 60%. And then you've got the mandate for a referendum approach, which is what Nicola Sturgeon and Alex Salmon fought all of their elections on the back of. And yet you could have this discussion over a full day. We could all be bored to tears by it. And by October, the party says, well, we've had a discussion internally and here's the, here's the result. Vote on it. Yes or no? Yeah, it's not clear the extent to which this event on June 24th will actually decide anything. It would be a good opportunity for members to have their say, to put forward various ideas. But I don't think it's clear what the party will have to do, if anything, in the back of that. Uh, I mean, I think it's the SNP's biggest problem is that they don't really know where to go from here. And I think the idea that there is some kind of fix or something that they could do that would, you know, drastically move the dial in the short term is probably for the birds, to mm. use that expression that always happens in politics and nowhere else. <laughs> it's probably just quite unlikely. It certainly seems that they've got into a situation where certainly the party leadership's position seems to be that growing support and demonstrating that growth of support is the only thing they really have up their sleeves. I mean, maybe I'm wrong and maybe something will happen at this special conference, but I just... Yeah, I think they're in a bit of a bind. And I think there yeah, I think there is I think the implication is that they they're not going anywhere in this question anytime soon. And it's kind of drained the momentum of of Scottish politics, I think, Rachel. I mean, it's we're in a situation now where a year ago we might have been badgering UK politicians about mandates for independence referendums and now we all kind of accept and it seems like the SNP in the parliament and in its entirety accepts that that is a hell of a long way further down the line than it was. I think especially in the past year, as you were saying, the likelihood of starting down the road towards an independence referendum is really far away now compared to what it was before the Supreme Court verdict there. And I think there is just a general feeling of tiredness, like you said. It's just a bit like, well, what, what happens now? Given a lot of the issues that we've been talking about recently within Scottish politics, it does kind of feel like, oh, we're talking about independence again, we're talking about the constitutional debate again. It does feel very, very tired at the moment. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if 
this um, sort of summer-long independence campaign from the SNP will reinvigorate it, particularly as it comes up to the next general election. We've seen um, Alba, of course, um, suggesting that there should be this sort of united front between the Scottish independence parties. I don't really know if that will go anywhere either. Um, the Greens have already outright said no to that, which I think was to be expected given some of their policy differences. Some within the SNP are also sort of muttering, sort of saying, no, I can't see it going anywhere Let, Let's all. briefly touch on that, because that was unveiled to great fanfare in the New Statesman this week by Andrew Marr. It is, as you say, it's the idea that in each constituency you will have a ALBA candidate or an SNP candidate or a Green candidate being the candidate for independence. And this supposedly gives Westminster political pressure to agree to a referendum it's all part of make alex great again isn't it i mean he was talking on the on the radio about it being for the sake of democracy for the sake of independence there's also for the sake of his political career i think so i think there's probably a, a sort of a, a view there for trying to get alex Salmond and probably neil hanvey and kenny mccaskill as well into sort of safer seats perhaps um seats that they're that they might be able to win better than in other seats um i think it is just all a bit of a ploy to get the three of them seats at the table at the house of commons um because i think the no polling shows that it's not looking all that great for them it would be a mighty shock if two percent alba voting turned into massive local votes in uh, fife and east lothian but you know I've, i've been proven wrong before let's talk a little bit broader and look at look back a bit we've mentioned that it kind of feels tired it kind of feels like the momentum's out of place where do we start that kind of process do we look back at Nicola Sturgeon's announcement around a year ago now about um taking this to the Supreme Court do we look at the Supreme Court verdict itself do we go back and look at maybe the Butte House agreement in terms of the tiredness yeah and where it's come from I mean I think part of the problem is that the SNP on the back of the 2014 referendum result, I mean, there was certainly in the immediate aftermath of that, there was this huge growth in support for the party, but there was an acceptance that, uh, you know, a referendum wasn't an immediate pressing issue. Mm-hmm. Then we obviously had the Brexit vote. That was the, the change in material circumstances that they used to push for another referendum, rightly or wrongly. Um, and I think since then, we've got into a situation where the SNP leadership has been promising that a referendum is just over the horizon. Uh, we've had various kind of campaigns around this. I've mentioning before we started recording that it seems like we've had several summers of independence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think activists and the general public have been told multiple times that an independence referendum is coming and it's never come. It's, it's like when you're climbing up a hill and you get to a false summit and then yeah. you see yet another summit further up and you, then you get to that one and you know, by the time you've done four or five false summits you want to go home and have a pie. <laughs> I think, and the worst example of it was you know, before the Supreme Court results we had them putting a date on it of October this year coming uh, which a lot of people, even at the time when they unveiled that thought this isn't going to happen and they turned out to be quite right and I, I don't think it'd be surprising if there's just a sense of fatigue among SNP members who are just getting a little bit sick of being promised things that don't happen. So I think the party's got to be careful about that. And I think Hamza Yusuf and the new leadership are probably, they're probably quite aware of that. And that's maybe where some of the, the change in rhetoric is coming from. But having said that, I mean, that, the change in rhetoric isn't going to satisfy people either because it's not, there doesn't seem to be any real strategy to change things in the short term. Let's briefly talk about a very insidery, bubbly event that happened this week, which was the appointment of Kevin Pringle as um, chief official spokesperson, director of comms, however you want to uh, brand it, 
um, to Hamza Youssef. He, he's a former um, spin doctor for Alex Salmond. He's been well involved in the lobby world um, for a long time. I mean, that's indicative of a change of strategy? Well, he, he was obviously um, working under Alex Salmond and um, so there'd be obviously a lot that he knows about this world that he can bring forward here. Um, I think the general mutterings that have been that it's a, a very sensible um, appointment and it'll go down well for them. So it'll be good to see what um, comes next now that he's in position. Although he's not in position right now, is he? It's, I think he's next week. Next week, next, yeah. next week yeah. isn't he? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think this is it's a really interesting appointment. Uh, I think the general consensus in Holyrood is that it's a smart move. It's a sensible move. You're bringing someone in who is massively experienced, who's very well regarded. Uh, was seen as one of the key players, actually, in the SNP's success during his time as you know, Alex Salmon's spokesman and involved in the SNP's media operation. It's an interesting move. Uh, and certainly when you speak to journalists, the journalists who, who worked at the time that Kevin Pringle uh, was around, I mean, one of the things they always say is that he was a genius at saying nothing, which is exactly what you kind of want sometimes from an official spokesman. You want them to seem like they're answering your question until you go back and listen to the recording and you find out actually they said absolutely nothing usable. And also, let's look at it from this perspective. The SNP are in need of new ideas. Right? That's why they're having this independence convention. It's you know part of the reason why Nicola Sturgeon stood down, I think, is that she was tired and she was ready for a new start. And they're in need of new ideas in order to convince people not to vote Labour at the next general election and not to vote Labour at the next Holyrood election. Kevin's been brought in to do that. And presumably, he'll, he'll bring in some thoughts about how to achieve independence. Yeah. I mean, he is, as I say, he's hugely experienced. He... I think he has been involved in the party for decades. He's someone that's been there, you know, when they were not a popular political force and was someone who was there at the height of their power. So I think if you're Hamza Youssef and you're trying to turn a situation around in which, you know, the SNP brand has been at least to some degree damaged by the recent negative headlines, the ongoing police investigation. I mean, someone said to me that, you know, if anyone can do it, Kevin can, mm. but it's not clear that he will be able to. It's a new, new slogan for Kevin's next consultancy. Um, for, um, if anyone can do it, Kevin can. <laughs> so let's hear from Alex Brown, our Westminster correspondent, on the latest developments down there, specifically talking about independence and the SNP, the decision by Ian Blackford to stand down. Hello and welcome back to the Westminster section of the podcast. My name is Alexander Brown. And it has been a pretty eventful week in Westminster, not through any great policy, not through any great debate with PMQ's a drab affair with Oliver Dowden and Angela Rayner doing their absolute best to make people fall asleep. In fact, the only redeeming factor of that was the Kiss singer Gene Simmons was there watching and afterwards called for peace in Northern Ireland, which was, you know, I, I didn't have that on my bingo card of absurd political events. But the real news is Ian Blackford, former SNP Westminster leader, will be standing down as a member of parliament at the next general election. He was a, or even is, a huge name and one of the very few SNP MPs who has recognition outside of the, you know, Westminster generally. People who don't necessarily follow politics know who Ian Blackford is. And I think it's worth remembering, as Pete Wishart actually tweeted, an appointed dig at his successor when he stood down. Yes, was ahead in the polls. Uh, and the SNP, I think, were on more than 50%. So, and also, yeah, he had the, he was the only leader of any party to have higher approval ratings. So, 
It's a real blow uh, for the SNP because often when there is a changing of the guard, it's good to have these bigger names around to kind of add some credibility to your group. And while there are certainly divisions between him and Stephen Flynn, I think it's very, very interesting indeed that he is departing now. He has decided, you know, if I'm not going to be leader, I don't want to be here. And it's, it's not just quitting. I, I believe he has, you know, he already has a business ambassador role and is in talks with the Scottish government about what they can do with that to deliver change in Scotland through policy and on energy. But it is noteworthy that he no longer thinks he can do that through the Westminster prison. Uh, or, or perhaps he just simply has got tired of it. So it remains to be seen what happens with the SNP group and whether any other names can, are willing to step up. He tipped the two in my in an exclusive interview, which you can read at the weekend. He tipped the two Stuart McDonald's, both spelt differently as the futures of the party, as well as Alison Thewlis, who, of course, lost leadership to Mr. Flynn. Stay tuned to The Scotsman for more on SNP and where it's going, if anywhere. And until next week, thank you so much for listening. Thank you very much, Alex, for that. Um, big footsteps to fill for anyone um, who follows Ian Blackford. Um, let's turn to the week in Scottish politics, and it's worth us touching on what happened at FMQs today. Both of you were watching intently. I was watching through bleary eyes. What were the stories of the day? Well, I think probably the biggest story was um, the South Used Ferry, which is one that you've been looking at, Alistair, isn't it? This is the, the ferry crossing from Malig to Loch Boysdale. Um, it's been cancelled for almost the whole month of June, um, which has queued an onslaught of very angry islanders who um, are seeing their businesses struggle. Um, I think today in the First Minister's questions, they were saying that um, people aren't able to get their medications that they're meant to do as well. But even looking a bit more at this, because it's not looking good at all at the moment for, for the SNP or for Calmac at the moment, is it? Yeah, so there are calls now for some form of compensation for islanders, for businesses, for people who have been affected by this. And I thought it was Humsey Yusuf's phrasing around this at First Minister's questions was interesting. He was basically saying that that's not off the table, uh, which kind of allows you to write a story that he's considering it, which he definitely is. Yeah, but absolutely. it also sounds like they are kind of loathe to go down that route. Uh, he was saying that basically the money that they take in, you know, fines from CalMac for, or deductions in CalMac for, for these, the situation that's ongoing at the moment gets pumped back into the system. So there is a kind of route at the moment for trying to right these wrongs. But there is an acceptance that the situation is, is not good at all. I think Hamza Youssef was quite clear about that at FMQs. This is an ongoing thing. You know, we've, it feels like we've been talking about CalMac ferries in some form or another for, for so long. And you can really just feel the, the frustration boiling over in the islands, to be honest. I mean, we had those scenes in South US, the protests uh, over this issue, which were, as far as I can tell, pretty un unprecedented. I can't remember anything like that happening on that scale. Just a sense of anger in the islands. And I'm not claiming this is scientific at all, mm -hmm. but I was in Harris uh, last week in the Western Isles, got family connections there. And pretty much everyone I spoke to when I told them what I did, you know, had comments they were making about the situation with the ferries, HPMAs, highly protected marine areas. There was a sense of frustration with uh, the perception that central government in Scotland is just either not listening to islanders or not acting quick enough, or if this was a situation that was ongoing in the central belt, something would have been done about it a long time ago, it would not be considered accept acceptable. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's a complete mess. What were their opinions on Hamza Yusuf and others? 
It, did, it, was, it was more of the policies, to be honest. Right. But so it wasn't, it wasn't active anger at the First Minister. It was active anger at the approach more generally, the policy approach. I'm just going from brief conversations I had. It was anger at those specific issues. I mean, particularly the ferries, particularly high, highly protected marine areas. Uh, and it's just it's surprising to have an issue like HPMAs brought up independently of yeah. you know, someone who's deeply involved in politics talking about it, just because it, it kind of sounds like quite a techie issue, but it's not at all when it comes to these areas. It's worth mentioning as well that we had um, the Public Audit Committee hosted a debate as well in Parliament today in, in the main chamber, basically shouting at the government for, for their handling of, of the procurement and construction of Hull 801 and Hull 802, which feed in to this issue, don't, don't they? I mean, this is the part of the reason we've got a struggling island community protesting over um, a lack of a reliable ferry network is because the government completely messed up the construction of two boats. Yeah. Well, again, we've spoken about this so many times in, yeah. the, in the podcast, the situation with Ferguson Marine, the two Calmac ferries are massively over budget, uh, massively delayed. Uh, I mean, it is just a completely, it's, it's a ridiculous situation. There's an acceptance in government that it's a ridiculous situation, but um, yeah. I would recommend for people who have 10 minutes to spare um, and fancy watching uh, an MSP absolutely rip apart a government, I would recommend going to uh, watch Richard Leonard's opening remarks because he took an axe to the Scottish government and smacked it very hard on the Scottish government tree, to use a terrible analogy that is definitely hangover um, related. Delays occurred in securing the attendance of some senior civil servants. Delays occurred in receiving evidence from Transport Scotland with little or no explanation provided for late or incomplete information. Correspondence, which could not be found for the committee, later turned up in response to a freedom of information review. So let me be as clear as I can be. If a committee of this parliament seeks evidence from the government, it should be provided in full. It should not be dependent on a member of the public or the press posing the same question. Also, if you're interested in these issues, we should say you should read uh, the pieces that have been done by our colleague Alistair Dalton, Absolutely. the transport correspondent of the Scotsman. Sometimes when you're covering this from a political point of view, it tends to get kind of caught up in party politics, argy-bargy. He really cuts through that yeah. and writes about it in a way that is much more about what the issue is actually to do with. And also, having said that, um, Alistair was uh, do going, doing the rounds around Glen Sanex, which is Holato 1, which is supposedly almost ready to sail and is apparently seaworthy, according to Fergus Marine Chief Executive David Tyburn. So there will be more news on the ferries going forward, but it would be remiss not to mention DRS despite the fact we, I feel we've talked about DRS every week for the last three months. Um, Rachel, give, get us up to speed. What happened this week? Um, Scottish Government look like they've messed it up. Yeah, I can't believe that we are still talking about this and it's still not actually here in, in place. So just to recap very quickly, deposit return scheme, quite a simple idea. You pay an extra 20p on your drinks container and when you bring that container back to the retailer, you get that money refunded. Lots of issues between how it's going to work between the rest of the UK and Scotland, which has caused no amounts of argument between the Scot Scottish government and the UK government. A couple of weeks ago, the uh, UK government said that um, the Scottish government could go ahead, but only if they didn't include glass. Now, over the weekend, the First Minister wrote back to the UK government saying 
you know, we can't go ahead with this. We, you really need to change this position. And unsurprisingly, the UK government have not backed down on that position, um, which led to Lorna Slater. She's the minister who's in charge of um, the deposit return scheme, um, announcing yesterday that um, the scheme, as it was initially planned, is now no longer going ahead and it will not be launching in March next year, as it was now planned to do. And it's now not going to be, it's October 2025. I mean, it's a long, it's a long way to go at now. At the earliest, Exactly, that is at the earliest. And I think she was on the radio this morning saying that, Miss Slater is saying that she's actually not even that confident that it will go ahead on October 2025. It just seems ridiculous that we're now still talking about this and we're still seeing more delays for what should really be a fairly simple idea. It's a simple idea. It's, it's, it's more the nitty gritty sort of technical bits that have got people caught up in this, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, I would recommend going back to listen to last week's Steamy, where Rachel and I discussed at length these exact issues in the context that they were happening while Alistair was sunning himself in Harris. Um, Not at all bitter about that. Um, That is all we have time for this week. Thank you very much, Alistair. Thank you very much, Rachel. Thank you very much, Alex from London as well. And we hope you listen next week as well. Bye bye.